Welcome to Neurodivergent Moments. Welcome, everyone. I'm Abba Goliath Shaman, and I have ADHD. I am the autistic man, Joe Wells. There we go. Okay. Uh, it, sorry, I'm just trying to now force awkwardness, which might <laughs> it's be... too smooth. More too awkward. Smooth. More People awkward. People have turned off that it was so smooth at the start. Yeah, they're like, this is not what we signed up for. <laughs> this is not what we signed we up for. We want it smooth. We listen to Off Menu. Oh, well, here, here's a... This isn't a neurodivergent moment, but I meant to tell you this before we started recording, and I'll tell you now. I just emailed that guest that I say said hold off on booking let's hold off on booking one person for this season because I really want to try to get this person on but since neither of us know them personally I emailed their agent going I think they talk about an autism diagnosis currently on stage would they (laughs) like to be on our podcast which I feel like if I'm wrong about this, which is very possible, I'm going to get this email going. I don't know what you're talking about. They're not autistic. No, they do. They do. They. I've I've been tagged in a few things on Twitter where they've said um, this person talks about it. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, okay. This is so uh, this. I had you. I hate when podcasts do this when they go. Oh yeah, I'll tell you off. I'll tell you off soon. <laughs> but, um, we can't say who the person is, but it's someone very exciting and uh, one of my favorite comedians. But maybe yeah. it won't come off. Yeah. Yeah, might not do it. So we have to just put up with the absolute shit we got booked in at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really mean that. I just thought that'd be a funny thing to say. Screw these comedians and writers. And... <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I wrote that being like, this is so cringy. Because I've also, I've also did message one person being like, hey, you got ADHD, right? You, you want to be on my podcast? And they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have ADHD. And I was like, I wanted to be like, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> You want to check that? Oh, but, uh... there's yeah, there was there was a comment. Oh, I'm doing the thing again where you like, like um, uh, but I'll, I'll bleep this out. <laughs> is autistic, <laughs> definitely, and like, and I don't know, like, I feel like I want to tell him because it was useful for me to know, um, but I don't, I don't know if you could just tell someone that. It's a difficult thing, isn't it? It's weird, cause, and I feel like be. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but like, I feel like asking someone if they have ADHD, they'd be a lot more chill about it than if you asked them if they were autistic. Do you think that? Yes, it's two, there's two stigmas, isn't there? I think they're both stigmatized, but in different ways. And the way different ways they're stigmatized makes it more inappropriate to ask someone if they're autistic. Yeah, everyone thinks they have ADHD in, in... No one thinks they're autistic. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess it's, um, I don't know, maybe I should tell this person. Um, <laughs> not, not on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but we did have, uh, on this episode, we had the amazing John Hastings, who is neither ADHD or autistic, but he's dyspraxic. He's so, I've been listening back to it today. He's so cool, isn't he? It was just such a wonderful conversation uh, because, like we say, I didn't really know much about dyspraxia and, you know, I, st- I still don't know a lot about it. But it was a really fun conversation where we were just all asking each other about, so if you're dyspraxic, is it like this? And he had questions for us as a ADHD and autistic people. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a great, great chat. Well, yeah, I don't know. What 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 do you think about it? You said you're you're already re-listening to it. Oh, I look. Firstly, 
John's just so cool, isn't he? It's just sort of like one of those people who I want people to think I'm best friends with because he's just so cool. Um, it's got a, a, I mean, you'll hear it soon. He's got a beautiful soft voice, but also, um, well, one of the things I thought was interesting was how much, even though we all had different diagnoses, how much sort of common ground there was and how much there was to, to share between us, you know? Yeah. As always, I walked away knowing very little, or excuse me, I walked in knowing very little about dyspraxia and I walked away being like, I'm pretty sure I'm dyspraxic as well. <laughs> I'm going to self-diagnose myself through every guest we have. That's that's <laughs> the new goal. <laughs> we talk at the start about two bicycle crashes, which John had, and we didn't, um, we didn't settle that. But if you're wondering what the crash talk is, that's what it is. John had two bicycle crashes. Yeah, and I, uh, like I said, uneducated in dyspraxia, immediately messaged him and went, hey, you want to be on my podcast and talk about your dyspraxia and your bicycle crashes? And he's like, they had nothing to do with my dyspraxia. And I was like, (laughs) right, right, awkward, okay, thank you. (laughs) Here's, Here's John Hastings. Let's do it. Thank you for doing this, John. Oh, no problem, guys. Thank you so much for the uh, absolute email tag that Abigail Ivan and I have been playing for two <laughs> full solstices. <laughs> oh, it's been a beautiful time. You've been all over the world. You've been of course. on. And, uh, and you're beaming in at the early time of 9 a.m. L.A. That's right, guys. I'll have you all know that this was supposed to be my day off. So, <laughs> uh, And it's not. Um, for not even this, this I would still do on a day off, but for other things, but I'm still, I'm still giving you the guilt of going, I just want to let you know, I could be <laughs> probably doing this exact same thing anyway. Oh, look at that, that right there. Don't I not miss living in the UK for exactly <laughs> what I just saw Joe do in the screen. Tilt now, window. Listeners can't see this is a tilt window, just enough fresh air to remind you it still sort of stinks inside because you have the heat on. You know what I mean? Like it's just enough. That's the metaphor of England, I always think, which is we will relieve your suffering just enough that it changes nothing and actually just reminds you that things are so bad. That's how I feel about England in every respect. You know what I'm saying? Where it's just like the window opens just enough so you know you're not free. <laughs> It was so funny. Your email where you were like, do you want to talk about your... And this was not your fault, but it's something that everyone does because both of those bike accidents, like, one was a like a like a catastrophic, like, function... Like, um, what the fuck is it called? Like a mechanical error. And the other one, a car hit me. But yeah. everyone just goes, oh, it's because you have dyspraxia. And it's like, no, guys. <laughs> there's other elements on the road. And it's this weird thing of... It's also that sort of thing. This is crazy. It's like, I'm never going to claim ableism. I'm like, I'm fine with it. But it's like the little thing where it's always like, it, what? It, it's always like stubbing my toe where I'm like, I have no recourse to come back from this. This is just something I live with for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Like I just, and it's specifically around those bike accidents. And I now have turned the corner and I think it's so funny because everyone's always like, that was on you. And I was like, I didn't get a drug. I didn't call a drug dealer and was like, listen, I lack reflexes. So let's do some weaving on Seven Sisters <laughs> Road. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, well, it's funny because when you messaged me and I was like, should we talk about the bike accidents? And you were like, that has nothing to do with my dyspraxia. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, ouch, offensive. And then secondly, I was like, I got to Google dyspraxia. I mean, I- yeah, everyone does. It's not even now technically called dyspraxia. This is why the dyspraxia community is going to get uh, not a lot of traction because we are 
we are specific and we are vocal and no one likes those people. Um, <laughs> in that two people have now told me it's not called dyspraxia and have given me slightly different titles mm. because they're trying to make it so it's more inclusive under the umbrella of neurodivergency. I don't know anything about this sort of community and sort of like I heard neurodivergent for the first time and I think may like i don't know when that but it's one of those things where it's it's sort of keeps evolving and changing so please do not feel bad having to google it like i discovered what it was when i was writing a stand-up show about being premature and then read the definition and was like oh that's me and then realized that all of the child psychology to address my issues as a child was done before they gave it a title like they it was you know it was still in the 90s when like there was still a whole phase of um like ability that would just classify it under he's a dunce. So yeah, it's, it's a very fascinating condition to be a part of. So what 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 is dyspraxia, or, or how does dyspraxia show up in your so life? You I lack guess? it's it's um it's you have uh, reflex issues. So you lack um, hand eye coordination, re like limited reflexes and stuff like that. And it's of course like everything a scale. So I was born premature, so I had no hand eye coordination whatsoever i had to literally learn how to basically direct my body to do stuff mm -hmm. so like and i always am actually fascinated how this compares in terms of thought to someone with say autism so are you like is there like because there's an awareness of it feels like there's more steps to things for me even though my brain is now trained so it feels like an instinct to be like grab cup like but there's still some part of me that's literally thinking like arm up, grab, cut. like it's the, all of the steps have to take place for it to happen. Is that, does that happen with ADHD? Autism? Yeah, I, I have a really good, uh, I have a good example of it. Uh, when we were um, abroad, we, we bought a, a sort of jokey present for a friend and there's someone who made like uh, bracelets of names on. So we mm -hmm. were making like a, that, and um, guy didn't speak very much English and he does like this gesture and uh, and I was just completely blown away with it. And uh, my wife went, well, he was obviously saying, is it for an adult or a child? When he was uh, like, so from her, like never the would, context is like really, I guess in that situation, the context to, to someone who, uh, to someone like my wife was very, very clear. But I guess I could, when I thought about it, I thought, well, he's making a bracelet. What's the information that he'll need? He'll need to know whether like that's what a piece of information and that's what that thing that gesture could mean for people listening i'm gesturing sort of tall and short um but for other people i think that's very quick you know like oh i can see all the context of that i'll get it but for me i sort of would have to it's like a puzzle i have to pick out so i wouldn't get it immediately yeah i would have thought it was the length of the bracelet that's where my brain immediately goes where i was just like oh we want and i'm like these bracelets are too long very long <laughs> yeah that's always my sort of issue is that, yeah i always i think lack context i also some i would like a venn diagram of like where is that in terms of being for me dyspraxia and where is that just in terms of like just other problems you know too much drinking in my 20s you know what i mean like i want yeah. <laughs> um, well, because like I said, I, I I was I was doing some reading before you hopped on, John. Oh. And according to dyspraxiafoundation.org.uk, Scott.org, so you know it's legit. How to recognize an adult with dyspraxia? History of physical awkwardness as a child, but may have developed coping to of 
or avoidance strategies as an adult, difficult learning new motor skills or applying skills in a different or busy environment, difficult handling tools or equipment such as a tin opener, poor balance, tires easily, can produce lots of writing or neat writing, but never both at the same time, anxious, may avoid social situations where difficulties might be exposed, poor organization and time management skills, misses deadlines, late for appointments, awkward pauses before answering questions, underachieves academically and in the workplace. And in my head, I was like, oh, I'm dyspraxic. It's interesting um, listening to that because I always find when the dyspraxia is a very interesting one and then everyone I've sort of encountered who has it is lean so heavy on coping mechanisms like a lot of that sort of stuff is over it's also a weird one is that it evolves as you get older in a way of you literally just get so road at things you basically develop uh the ability to do it i couldn't tie my shoes until i was like 28 like i just couldn't figure it out mm-hmm. and then i remember like being in london and being like almost 30 and was like oh shit i figured this out. and like traced back my steps so it's a really a weird one in that all of those sort of things you're talking about i wanted to sort of focus on the coping mechanisms of it, especially for comparing it to someone with like adhd mm-hmm. joe i always think is one of those things where because of such so much that societal stigma but it's like so it's just such a thing that everyone sort of mocks you know what i mean like how yeah. is that sort of de- like because you got such a late diagnosis, did you look back and realize, oh, this is how I've been coping with X, Y, and Z? Or were you like, oh, this is why I do X, Y, and Z? Because I always find dyspraxic of people, it's that second step of like, oh, that's why I do this. To, it's compensating for that. And I was, yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, it explained a lot in my past. And uh, I saw a TikTok, which, <laughs> as I do, and uh, that spoke to me so brilliantly where it was like, in an ADHD diagnosis, the doctor asks, do you have trouble doing X? And the if your answer is no, because I have a system for that, you have ADHD. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like... It's like like planning travel that and I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but the doctor was like, that's why you might make mistakes, like doing stuff like planning travel. And I was like, no, I have a system for that. And in an ironic twist of fate, as soon as he diagnosed me, I got off that Zoom call. My phone alerted me that I was supposed to be on a train because I booked the train for the wrong day. You did it. Yeah, I did I, I did an ADHD. <laughs> I did an ADHD. So how old were you when your mom uh, figured out that like you... seven. You have to oh, understand. Oh, so like, early. Because I, so I was born premature. So I was okay. born three months premature, which is more than likely the cause, the root cause of uh, my dyspraxia. That's what so, I read today. You see? Low now, birth rate. This is what it was. So, Wait. but as a result of that, she was just watching me because... It, the development was very, very clear, very, very early. They were just like, he's just not going to have hand-eye coordination. He wasn't inside you for that to form. Like, that just happens later on in the process. Um, so that's, just be aware. Because I think basically the story, but by the, I remember by the time I was seven, I was like being pulled out of school all this time to go to this doctor named Karen Ogston, who I spent sort of years off and on going to. And it was basically like you can just see this test, which I've had to like break out every once in a while to get special privileges at schools for exams and stuff like that. And it's like you can literally see there's just like this like one area and it just looks like I just fell asleep because it's like 
like normal, 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 zero, 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 <laughs> normal, 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 normal. And it was like, and it was in a time before dyspraxia. So it was just like, oh, he doesn't have hand-eye coordination. We're going to just need to build a bunch of coping mechanisms and figure out how to teach around this. So from like the age of four or five, because I had no hand-eye coordination, I had to play piano, not to learn music, but basically what it was doing was hard wiring my brain. So taking it from what I think a lot of people with dyspraxia end up having, especially because everyone gets diagnosed for this so late and there's a lot of aware lack of awareness around it. And there's also a lot of stigma around it still. I think that they don't realize that they can be doing stuff like this. And apparently when they're like a little kid, they can be doing stuff like this. So it means that later in life, I think they can drive. Like I didn't realize people with dyspraxia since I've done stand up about it twice on TV, people just like reach out with stories. And a few people were like, you can drive. And then I did some Googling and realized like, yeah. And I think it indicates to this of like playing piano from when I was four, doing all sorts of exercises and put in sports constantly and stuff like that. Like I was bad at like, you under, you under, you know what happens when a kid with no hand-eye coordination or balance plays American football it's <laughs> tackled a lot. And, but like, but looking back, it was really, really good. Because it just basically gave my brain, it sort of forced my brain and my body to figure out how to work together. So at this point now, um, I don't realize I'm thinking about doing stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but as I feel like I have a really big full day driving, especially I will notice is like if I have to drive for like seven hours for some crazy gig, that last hour is a gong show of doing so crazy stupid bad things because my brain is at that point where it's stripped of coping mechanism and is literally like hand to gear not that gear fuck you john that but good so you know it's that sort of stuff and it's very specific and just feels so draining at the end of the day i feel we should have badges when it gets to a certain point in the day of like my brain has been working harder than yours so shut the fuck up i get to sit down on the tube you know what i mean like it's just like like there's some days you get to 4 p.m. and it feels like your brain is on fire. Yeah. And and you realize, oh, there is a segment of the population that is not burned out at this rate in a daily basis. And I just feel that, but again, there's no way to sort of cope or deal with that. You just learn to drink. I just drink a lot of coffee after 5 p.m. That's basically my, my big move and recommendation. <laughs> Do you, I spoke but, to someone with dyspraxia who said something which I was really interested in. He said that he because of those things like learning to tie your shoelaces learning to work a washing machine all those sort of things he said it's made him so sort of like um sort of like almost like clinically determined because he just has this sense of if i fail once i'll fail again and i'll fail again i'll fail again but then eventually i will get it and it's made him do you do you relate to that completely relate to that it's a thing of you okay i'm gonna fall down like i don't care it's also that thing of like I remember school a lot of mocked for coordination and that sort of stuff. And it's kind of that thing of, I think it kind of just makes you realize like, I don't like, okay, you, you weren't good in gym class. Yeah. Who gives a shit? All of these people are going to go work in it and middle management. Like it's not you. That's what I always took away from it. Was it, it our entire listenership is it workers. (laughs) (laughs) Understand there are two types (laughs) of it workers, Joe, those that do those that are in it for the love of the game. And those that got a a weird knee injury and didn't, couldn't make it into a premiership <laughs> football club. Ours are very much love of the game, people. You, of course. Oh yeah, we're talking. <laughs> I could literally say one zero one one zero, and there's like eighty people going like, 
fuck you, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> little binary joke. Um, <laughs> no, it's um, I'm so sorry. I lost my train of thought. IT people. Yeah, no, I completely relate to it is that it gives you determination. Um, and also uh, it gives you a lot. La- I also think it gave me a lack of need for perfection. Mm. I don't care. I don't care if it's perfect. I want it to work. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't, I never have been into like the prettiness of something. I understand. Like, I remember dating a chef for three years and I still think like you, you eat half the meal with your eyes. And I'm like, I do not. I eat it. I I taste it. (laughs) Like, I don't care. Like, it's that sort of stuff. And I actually do think it's a little bit tied. I have no sort of like when it comes to organization and stuff like that, I have an absolute system. It's not pretty, but it absolutely works, which is. Like for tax receipts, we're all comedians. We have to keep a lot of receipts. I get a bunch of plastic bags and I just write the year on them. And then I just put them in a bigger garbage bag and I just move that from country to country. So there's just two garbage bags. (laughs) But seven years worth of receipts. And then as each year, I just peel the seventh year back and those get fucked off into the trash. And now that we are living in a digital age, I'm no longer keeping the receipts. And the bag is getting smaller and smaller with those receipts as I fuck them off into the trash. Yeah, like it's just one of those things. Why are You're you one helpful housemate away from going to prison for tax fraud. I've, I've screamed at a comedian who tried to throw away my receipts. She said, like, this is a big bag of garbage. And I went, that is a big bag of freedom. You put that back. <laughs> I perform wow. all over the world. I need those. Absolutely. Do you understand how... like? Bear in mind, I feel so crazy the conversations I've had to have as a comedian. I shouldn't ha- I have three accountants and two lawyers. I am not famous. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, <laughs> I am a thousandaire, and I have a staff of professionals because of this stupid job. You know what I mean? Like, you also have immigrated. If you do that as a comedian, you suddenly just have – like, you're supporting – like a raft of people in like white collar jobs. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I'm really avoidant of doing all that stuff. And I'm like trying to get my house in order with it. So now I have an accountant in America and an accountant over here. And like, yeah, it's really overwhelming. It's Can we re- talk about avoidance of that sort of stuff? Especially oh. for people with like neurodivergence. I, yeah. Just do it. It doesn't matter the cost. Like, do what you have to do. Sell drugs, steal the money, get an accountant. If you have any sort of legal ramifications to your job, get a lawyer and just do Because it, the peace of mind that I take, I just make a spreadsheet and I send it to a guy named John and a woman named Christy and another guy named Ron and they just do it. And then if I really panic late night, I can send them very weird, specific emails about tax code I saw in a movie. And then they can go, that's not a thing, you <laughs> weird guy. And I go, that's fine. I pay you a bit too much more than market rate. So you have to take these emails. And the rest of the year, you're just peaceful. Birds land on me. Do it. Like, do it. Especially if you live in more, like you work in more than one country, all of that sort of stuff. Like, I also think, especially for people like us, our brains are busy enough we have to be okay just shuffing off. I know not everyone can afford it. If you can't afford it, steal those people's services. I'm serious. It is worth it. Every penny of it is worth it. You know what I mean? Am I crazy? Yeah. Am I crazy, Joe? No, like it kind of no, harkens back to like you talking about getting burnout at 4 p.m. And like there needs to be some sort of like, not excuse, but like accepting of that. It's like I wish 
And in some cases, you can get this. Like, if you're diagnosed with a neurodivergency, you can get certain types of aid. Now, I know if you're diagnosed with autism in the UK, you can apply for, and you're a, I think you have to be a, what What are we called? Not sole provider. What are we called? Freelancer. You can apply. Oh, sole trader. Sole trader. You can apply and get government aid to help run your business. Fucking hell. Yeah. I, I know someone who has it and sh- and they get a certain amount of money a month and they put that towards hiring a uh, digital assistant to help them out with their job. It's interesting. In America, if you actually alert the government that you're neurodivergent, they send two guys in a pickup truck to your house to call you a loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how do you find that? I mean, I know this is a little it's, off topic, but how do you find the healthcare system over there dealing with your dyspraxia or just in general? Because going back to what we were talking about earlier, you seeing Joe open his window, you hate the uk whereas i'm american and i feel like you've moved to la and you're like in the you think you found the land of milk and honey and i'm like i will never move back unless i am famous i i love california like i I love like i live in los angeles california i live in like hipster east la a very good argument could be made i do not live in america do you understand like (laughs) Like the like people, I a good portion of my mid of my neighborhood. I guarantee this is being recorded the night after the American midterms. There's a good portion of my neighborhood that have flags at half mast because the Dems didn't win a super majority. Like he, like it's like I don't live in America, but here's the reason why: is America is a super fucked ultra capitalistic state that is making some efforts to slowly change itself, not nearly as quickly as possible, and it should have done it about a hundred years ago. When it comes to their healthcare system, if you can afford it, and because of Barack Obama, a good portion of Americans can afford it. It's it's down to $100 a month. It's unconscionable I'm paying anything. It should just be part of my taxes. But the service you get is exceptional. Doctors listen to you because you're a customer at a business. They cannot triage you at a certain point because you can literally go, I'm going to call your manager, which sounds insane. But for people with neurodivergency, which are so often ignored, here they have to account for it. Basically, because if like a patient's done some reading, they're like, oh, fuck, I, I'm going to have to actually listen. So it's a weird way of you. F- I feel a bit more listened to, especially I had major surgery in beginning of 2021 because of a bike accident. Abigail and I were mentioning on this shoulder. So I had to have a bunch of physio for it. And it was the first time going through physio where one of the physiotherapists were 100% aware of what dyspraxia was and was like, could account for it, like would ask certain questions of like, is that, a, I just remember one thing of there was just a movement I wasn't getting. And he's like, can you not do that? Or do you not understand it? And I went, I don't understand it. And he went, great. And it's that sort of difference. Do you know what I'm saying? Where I always found the NHS is exceptional and every Tory should burn for even putting one tiny breath on it. But... It's a triage style medical system. They're not. They're they're going to give you the care to keep you alive. Do you know what I mean? It's not going to. It's not going to be in the details because of just how the system is set up. Do you know what I'm? Do you understand the distinction? Yeah, but I would now. Now that we're talking about healthcare, of course, um, I do have to come uh, rebut this just a bit. So where I live in London, 
I have a GP that I can get into. If I call at 8 a.m., I'm in by 10 p.m. When I was diagnosed with ADHD and I was being passed between the private and the NHS uh, to do that, they got my shit in order very quickly because I live in an area where it's well-funded and I can get the care I need. In America, and this is why when people are like, going private won't be so bad if we do it in the NHS, Uh, If you live in a low-income area where your NHS is not able to uh, help you as much as you need, that will still exist in a private healthcare system. If the doctors aren't there, the doctors aren't there. So, like, say my my mom actually lives in a nice area, but, like, she had a thing where something was wrong with her and she felt like her doctors weren't listening and her doctors weren't listening – and uh, unlike you, she didn't have a positive thing. And this is this is so horrible. But my father uh, was an eye surgeon. So the only way my mom could get her doctor to listen to her was to drop the doctor's wife card of being like, I was married to a surgeon for 20 fucking years. And, you know, my kids never went to the doctor unless they were bleeding or dying. We do not misuse this healthcare system. You need to listen to me. Something is wrong. And then finally the guy listened to her. But she literally had to say, I used to be married to a doctor before he took her seriously. Don't get my positive. Don't take my positive experience as the net experience. I'm also a straight white man. And listen, (laughs) the amount of privilege I have oozes. But especially when it comes to the medical community, because no doctor listens to anyone else but the straight whites. It it really seems like if you're a straight white man, they're like, oh, let's hear your opinion. But you talk to a woman, you talk to a person of color, and it's basically they walk into a doctor and he's like, I don't know, you look like a whiner. Like that's it's the it's so I completely understand that we would have totally different systems. And also you're 100 percent true. Do not privatize a medical system. America is very slowly and quietly in their weird American way of like we actually will address issues, but we'll never talk about it because we don't want to get yelled. You know, it's the weirdest country in the world, but they are slowly trying to slide it to it being the NHS in America because they need it. Because as the baby boomers get older, they're not all going to be able to afford care and there's no way they're going to pay for it. So either those companies are going to default because they're just going to be owed billions of dollars from old people, or we're going to have just a lot of old people. Like it's going to become the NHS in America. Ironically, as a, the NHS in the UK <laughs> goes private. In, well, that's another factor. I, I think what the NHS is in the stance. UK now is, is completely different to what it was 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so, so I would so, say so the NHS the I experienced in 2017 would be diametrically different than the NHS that's happening right now but like, yeah, 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 yeah. like the, I, I had a friend who was in the hospital in 2021 and what i saw to what i experienced in four years was shocking and that has nothing to do with the medical professionals and everything to do with the pig fuckers in westminster <laughs> this is becoming uh, very bleak this podcast it's <laughs> not bleak i disagree let's it's talk about your motorcycle crashes but hang on and listen we have to be aware of the world we live in, but I actually do think we are moving in a positive direction because of young people are completely aware of what's going on. They have heard the call and heard what people are saying. So I actually do not. Th- I think it's very bleak in this moment, but in a macro sense of the direction we're going, it's in a wholly positive way. I'm more speaking a North American centric vibe. If you're speaking specifically about England, um, your future is over. Everyone get out. Like if you're a good- <laughs> Uh, but going back real quick to dyspraxia, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, you mentioned that, uh, like, there's still a lot of stigma around it. Like, what sort of stigma uh, are you talking about? People don't know what it is. That's the stigma mm-hmm. around it. You say it to someone, and, like, I have, a, I have a variety of jokes about it, but they literally just look at you like you have two heads. They don't <laughs> they don't believe it. Um, it's one of those many things I've had friends who, like, I'll play pickup basketball, and people will be like, what the blah, blah, blah. And I will just be like, I, it's a thing. And you can see... You know, jock dudes that have become comedians are the, my favorite ones because they just, I can see in their eyes, they just go, another one of these bullshit artists. And it's just like, all right, whatever. But yeah, there's no, that's the main stigma I experience because it's one of those things where the, I'm at the point now where I don't have to do a lot of the things that would expose my dyspraxia. You know what I mean? Like it was a lot more noticeable when I was a kid, when like gym teachers and more specifically coaches, coaches especially, because I had to do team sports to, learn coping mechanisms, but they didn't understand what dyspraxia was. Like, I remember my mom got in the face of a soccer coach when I was four because he literally was like, you're being a loser, John. And my mom was like, uh, I'm calling the board of education. This kid is leaving. Go fuck yourself. Because it was just that sort of thing of they're not going to, there was no sort of quarter given for the fact where it's like, why isn't he able to catch the ball? And it's like, he can't comprehend where his leg is. He's four, you fuck. So that was the st- main stigma that I carry. But as an adult, you just don't encounter it. Because it's also that thing of like playing Frisbee at a barbecue. And someone's like, you're not very good at catching it. It's like, yeah, that's right. I have a job. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I have a question when it comes to people's assumptions about autism and your divine mm. self. Because I just feel like that that's one because it's sort of become various parts of our It's it's how do I say this? I think a lot of people think they know what autism is, and I think probably ninety percent of people have no idea. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I, th- I think people <laughs> have a yeah, people have a sort of few go to points where they know, and sort of half of them are like a broad truth that aren't true for everybody, and then some of them are completely wrong. I think a lot of stuff about empathy is very misunderstood. Um, there's a sort of if, if listeners want to look up the double empathy problems, there's a sort of idea that. Um, you know, if, if if I communicate something to you, uh, or if I communicate something to a neurotypical person and they don't understand me, it's Joe has problems of communication. If they communicate something to me and I don't understand it, it's Joe has problems of empathy, has problems of understanding. Oh, I understand. Um, and, uh, like, I, I've met autistic people who have almost too much empathy to a point where it sort of really damages their life because they get involved in campaigning and, and you know, and, and political movements and they can't turn off that sense of, like, justice because they you know because people are being hurt in the world um so yeah i think there are there are lots of misunderstandings but i think i think things are are getting better i absolutely think they're uh getting better things like this podcast are truly helping i find it very fascinating when you look at and do any sort of looking into neurodivergency and then you look at creative people from like any other time in human society except for Mm. now and you could especially when it comes to things like the autism spectrum, you can really pick out some people. You can really be like, oh, I think that Jerry Garcia was a undiagnosed autistic person who took too much acid because he just want, he just structured his life to play guitar for 12 hours a day, six days a week. And that's and like people are dying on, on heroin, but the structure of his life just moves forward, continuing with that goal. And it's one of the like... Without that piece of the puzzle, he just looks like a wild narcissist. And then you add that in, you're like, 
Oh, it's how he's structured his life, whether it's whatever it is that's causing that within his brain that's separate from his personality. It's a fascinating lens to uh, review history, I always think. I think about James Joyce a lot, you know, that all his books are just he was obsessed with literature and it's him writing books where there's all these little niche references or to literary styles and other writers and things like that. And they're so niche that most people wouldn't get them. You know, his books are so impenetrable that it takes oh, all sort of scholars to pick them apart. It's, I used to, some of the autistic kids I used to work with used to write like fan fiction about Marvel and stuff like that. Very similar stuff, you know, where they'd have these sort of niche references to this, this Marvel film or this comic book that you'd have to be a real scholar to pick out. I think James Joyce is definitely autistic. I, it's, I find that it's, it's such a fascinating, I won't say it's a game, but that sort of thing of like, as you encounter culture from previous times where you're like, what? like may, music is my favorite one in that you can sort of see like, like they, Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young has all but said this, but like when you read about him, like he would literally stay up for like two weeks doing cocaine to specifically get the tone of an amp to sound like a blues amp from the 20s because he's doing a blues song and you realize like oh in his head if we're doing a blues song it's going to sound like the blues song and we will stand here for a year until we get it and we're going up this hill and you're like oh if someone could have just said Steven cocaine's not a good idea with how your brain works (laughs) you are very focused and it was just it's such a I find it such a it makes me sort of sad for the artist but I also think it 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 for me as a creative person, it makes the whole thing make a lot more sense. It doesn't seem like I'm less than because I'm not capable of like that level of attention of detail. It's like your brain works differently. They are satisfying a, a, a beast that lives inside them at this point. You d- don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the same way that I feel like we all really benefited from. Uh, no, this isn't talked about, but comedians used to talk about when I started how no one wrote. They would just show up and have two beers and just riff everything on stage and that is an absolute and complete lie and i think stand-up has really benefited from people been like not only do i write my jokes i use writers eight people help me craft this hour no one is perfect it takes just a lot of skill and i think that that's better for creatives as we realize that like people are essentially weaponized some aspect of their neurodivergency you may not be capable of doing what they're able to do and they're also you know what i mean there seems to be more honesty in our society and neurodivergency is a part of it do you guys sorry this i just I, I can bring it back to our topic do you guys ever get heckles that are neurodivergent topic specific of someone disagreeing with you dyspraxia this has happened a few times where people will go my sister son cousin has dyspraxia that's not true of them and you're like it's a spectrum you fuck you know what I mean? like there's <laughs> always like that sort of clarification stuff always bugs the shit out of me where i'm like I have, I have had specifically my grandchildren. My grandchild is autistic, and you can't be because you're happy and confident. Oh my god! Just so what sad. Part of Sussex or the Cotswolds <laughs> when that was said to you? <laughs> I think I think it was in Portsmouth. It was in my hometown, letting me down. Come yeah. on, Portsmouth. I know. I mean, I guess you do that much MDMA and a tiger, tiger. <laughs> You're going to yeah. spout off with some weird fucking comments. I've always been impressed that you were able to stay in Portsmouth because Portsmouth has an air much like Belfast where it feels like every time you arrive, you're like, was there just an argument here? <laughs> <laughs> but you mainly did that. Did you 
So, but you're talking about Tiger Tiger. That was particularly horrible. Yeah, that's my I've my entire vibe of ports now. of ports. Yeah, there's a, there's a nice there's a nice side. It's only a couple of streets, but it's there is a nice okay, part. Great. Yeah, the Wedgwood rooms are nice. I assume that's on one of the. Well, nice yeah, that's on the street. Yeah, Albert Road and Elm Grove. They're very nice. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, <laughs> the UK is wild in that. Like, for those of you not living in the UK, it's not that the rest of the streets are like crime-filled dens of iniquity. It's more like you walk down and you're just like, oh, like everyone here is a fucking asshole. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. Like, so mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's a bunch of bald guys named Terry just fucking being rude i was about oh i had a absolutely banging question oh the potato stand up <laughs> i have a question i like that you brought your own questions it's lovely yeah i i really feel like this is just us all talking about all of our different neurodivergencies answering each other's questions i really like this open forum we're doing here yeah but guys, with... listen let's stop with podcasts none of us are fucking wogan can we stop <laughs> acting like we're goddamn broadcasters with experts if i hear one more comedian talk about the economy i'm going i'm going to burn down a fucking bookshop i don't know what i'm gonna do if one more comedian one more person i know that did not barely graduated from high school because they were being an asshole talk to me well, well it's keynesian shot the you you heard a doug stan home bit you do not know what that means like i would just like to acknowledge to the listeners yes i am also thinking about the 15 minutes of this podcast where we discussed health care in different <laughs> yeah, countries yeah. not the economy not the economy we all experience health care as users as users we don't experience the uh, economy in the same way don't think that people haven't done that little move to me as well yeah yeah a fucking coping mechanism do you i have one more question before we get to the neurodivergent moment, like with dyspraxia and you're talking about your coping mechanisms that have helped you so much, what is like the one thing that you would recommend to someone uh, to help with their dyspraxia that you've learned over your time with it? I would say this is very wanky, but I'm going to say it. I would say accept it, accept it for yourself, and also just learn to be able to stare at people in the face when they go, I don't believe you. That's the biggest thing of go, okay, well, now I've just, like, good to good to hear where you, how you live your life, which is if someone tells you something about themselves, your first instinct is go, well, they must be a liar. That's been the biggest coping mechanism for me. Everything else sort of comes with time, but a open ability to just go, fuck off with your fucking judgment has been the most helpful thing and it's a long road to get there good luck getting there brothers and sisters but do get there because it just makes the whole thing a whole lot more manageable is that a i feel like that was a douchey answer but i think that's a really beautiful answer answer. yeah i wanted to give like a a, a sort of a clenched fist yeah Yeah, because i i just find right this is a larger societal comment but it's the same thing if we need to get back to just looking at someone in the face and going no that's not it but no no, but but no, you know what I mean. That's we need a bit more of that. Yeah, no more no more debate. Dicks to the left. <laughs> <laughs> there's two sides to every sort. No, there's no. not. No, there's, there's not. not. There's, there's my side, and then fuck off. And guess where? Fuck off. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, as we said at the end of every uh, podcast, we like to uh, ask our li- our guests, excuse me, if they have a neurodivergent moment. Uh, jo- jo, you do this. I'm losing my words. <laughs> at the end of the podcast, we 
ask our guests for a neurodivergent moment. Do you have a have you had a neurodivergent moment recently? Yes, I had one yesterday. Oh my god, I had one yesterday. This is a very good one. I was speeding. Uh, and it was raining in Los Angeles. It never rains here. It literally rains one to four days a year. Um, and I was speeding, going to do something I didn't want to do. And I, for some reason, had the air conditioning blasting in my car. And it was so cold. I was like, we got to turn this off. And I hit it. And then the car went like, like made this like crazy loud noise. I was like, what the fuck? Holy shit. And then like it all calmed down. And then the air conditioner was still on. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, my car is a push button ignition. And while going 70 miles an hour, I tried to turn my car off uh, while trying to turn the air conditioning off. Now, luckily, the good people at Honda saw me coming. And uh, when you do that, it makes a noise like you tried to activate an atomic bomb and does not turn off. It does not turn off when you're going seven. But and let me say this. Thank God for whoever sacrificed their life so that can be the truth but yeah no that was a and that was a moment and what i did in that moment was i uh i then pulled over and, and bought a nice nice drink and took a second that's the key right there when you <laughs> when you almost turn your car off in the fast lane you time to buy a diet coke buddy <laughs> pop a washington and have a breathe <laughs> that's the most dangerous moment we've ever had <laughs> yeah thank you for sharing thank you it's beautiful. i bring it when it comes to podcasts yeah uh, you do <laughs> All right, we have to go because you guys both have places to be. That's um, right. re- one, Thank one you, real, John. real quick, John. Uh, this will go out in two weeks. Anything you want to plug? Very much. I'm going on tour in February in the United Kingdom. It is one of the best review shows of the 2022 Edinburgh Fringe. Come see my show. <gasps> Do you have any ointment, my John Hastings, on tour uh, February of 2023? Uh, get tickets at John Hastings, thejohnhastings.com backslash gigs. All the ticket information there or find me on social media at the John Hastings. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Thank we'll put the link in the me. description as well. Ah, description Yay. link. Yay. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 That was John Hastings. John Hastings. What a delectable human. And as he said at the end, on tour in the new year here in the UK. So if you're a UK listener, which I assume all of you are, um, go see him. He's totally worth it. Who he's else is on... so strong in a club, isn't he? He can sort of like compare and sort of banter with people really well, but also a brilliant storyteller. You know, yeah. and it's um, he's a man of many skills. Yeah, but just real quick, uh, Joe, who else is on going on tour in the UK? I love his setup. It's Joe Wells. He's going on tour. There we um, go. It's got. Oh, I had my. I've had my first two, and they've been so fun. And. Uh, yeah, it's just been really lovely to perform to to other neurodivergent people. Um, we the Banbury, we had 130 in, um, which was really cool, and it was just that like so they're not. I haven't built them as relaxed performances because I think that that is something slightly different to to what the show is. Um, but I tried to have some sort of stuff so that, you know to make sure people can be themselves during the show, and it's just created this really cool atmosphere, you know, where everyone's just sort of being themselves. Some people are stimming, some people, you know, if, if you don't want if the seats are uncomfortable and you want to get up and sit on the floor, that's fine. Um, we did uh, in Banbury have some. Uh, I, I've got some material about about nuclear, being worried about nuclear war, and as I was talking about my fear of nuclear war, 
uh, one of my brilliant dyspraxic audience members uh, got up and then fell over very loudly at the back. So there was discussion of nuclear war and then a huge crash. Um, but that just made it a lot more exciting. So uh, packs the audience up. Amazing. But as we learned from John, them falling over might not have had anything to do with their dyspraxia. That's true. Could have been tripped. Could have been tripped. Could have been tripped. Could have just been a dark theater, guys. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I've been loving them so far, and I'm going to all over the UK next year. I, I, if I'm not going to the place where you are, get someone who, I, if these ones sell, then we'll add other places. So if you, if I'm not coming to where you are, then try and tag in or, or share it with someone who does live in one of those places. Yeah, and the more that Joe sees um, people asking him to come to their towns, that means the next time he goes on tour, he can do a bigger one. Yes. Yeah, so exactly. just, yeah, spread the word. Yeah, because promoters look at that. Promoters look at that, and then they see dollar signs, and then you get to go on a bigger <laughs> tour. Are we talking? Are we allowed to talk about your news yet? Your your TV news. Uh, we can talk about. We can't talk about the outcome, but okay. this has a little something to do with my neurodivergent moment, which we should. Oh, okay. With. Let's go okay. into it. Yeah, give me your neurodivergent moment. So very excitingly, uh, last week I was on Celebrity Pointless. Um, as a celebrity, which uh, that's how I found out I was a celebrity and, uh, <laughs> great, had a great time, was on with Angela Barnes. And when you go on celebrity pointless, you play for a charity. And I chose the fabulous charity called ADHD UK. And, uh, while I was researching neurodivergent charities, uh, so many charities say, neurodiversity when they mean neurodivergency <laughs> and i was reading so many websites that were like we help people with their neurodiversity and but and i was like that's the wrong words neurodivergency neuro and i told tom i was like there's one charity that i didn't use and and angela said they're really great and do fabulous work but they say neurodiversity on their website instead of neurodivergency so i can't use them because they don't know the right terminology and tom just looked at me and and he was like so you didn't decide to go with that charity because their uh their vocabulary was incorrect and i was like yeah i think that might be my neurodivergent moment for the week and he was like for your adhd and i was like yes <laughs> and he's like the fact that you were upset that they used the wrong word and I was like yep and he's like okay and then he just walked away thinking I think she might be autistic <laughs> but you found one that uses it right I I found one that used the right word and by the way I know not everyone is always going to use uh the correct terminology. And in fact, in our very first episode, Joe, you educated me a lot on this. And I just think if you're raising money, if you're a forward facing person about neurodivergency, you should know the difference between neurodivergency and neurodiversity. Just small little thing, small little <laughs> thing. But that, that... that shows that they're like, engaged. like when I see a charity use it correctly, I feel like it shows you're like engaged with those conversations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in picking a charity, I was also re like, I had to do a lot of research just to make sure that I picked a charity, like that I didn't accidentally pick like autism speaks because they <laughs> have autism in it. So it's like, I'll just use that one. It's like, you know, I got to make sure that they're like ideals and, uh, and what they're doing for, neurodivergent people, specifically ADHD people, are things that uh, are helpful and they're not trying to like 
cure it. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, I used uh, ADHD UK. I played on Pointless with Angela Barnes, a uh, friend of the show, first episode, a uh, guest episode of the podcast. And uh, we'll let it'll be out in the new year and you'll know how it how it ended for us. How much money did we to find out. raise for ADHD UK? Uh, we have some listener moments too. All right. Do you so... want me to go first or do you want to go first? Yes, I have a, a lovely one, uh, which is, uh, it's a it's a dating one. Um, so this comes from Ashling. Uh, so Ashling emails and says, Hey, Joan Abaglia, I love listening to your show. Thanks for all the work you do. My neurodivergent moment is a dating moment from when I was a wee, clueless, undiagnosed autistic and probably ADHD 19-year-old. My friend told me S, S is a code name for... Um, uh, I believe a boy. My friend told me S had liked me for ages, but had been too shy to do anything. I had to admit, I had barely even noticed him, but afterwards began to notice how he spent every night out staring at me. Lovely way to attract a girl's attention, just stare. <laughs> I wasn't sure what to do with this information, nor the unexpected and frankly novel attention. I was a shy 19-year-old with woefully limited experience of boys. It was usually me staring wistfully at unattainable crushes. I decided to carry on as if I was oblivious to these developments, not interacting with him, and let him come to me. When he finally did, weeks later, he caught me in a bar on a work night out. I was already tipsy, and whatever filter I managed to maintain while sober usually went out the window after a couple of shots. He nudged my elbow in the crowded bar, pulling me away from my colleagues, and shouted into my ear, Would you like to go out sometime? I beamed at him and shouted back, Oh, thank God, you finally said something! Yes, I'd love to. Apparently, he only heard the first part of my response and ignored the second, because though he took my number, arranged to see along came Polly the following week and walked me some of the way home after the cinema, we never spoke again. The date had failed before it even begun, and though I was never able to confirm it, I knew my foot in mouth was probably to blame. I don't lose much sleep over S ghosting me. I think I'd been more intrigued by the fact that someone had a crush on me than anything else. But it was perhaps my most neurodivergent of a dating... But it was perhaps my most neurodivergent moment of a dating life full of neurodivergent misunderstandings, miscommunications and missteps. Thanks, Ashling. You don't need S, Ashling. I don't know why he's uh, ghosting you. Yeah. And, and why would you go someone when they ask you out and they go, thank God? That's that's <laughs> the kind of response I want. Thank God you finally said something. <laughs> thank God you finally said something. What have you been something? doing, S? Just staring. Yeah. Uh, I I love that. I I think that's great. And uh, yeah, I mean, S, you can you can do better than S. You probably have. If you guys arranged to see Along Came Polly, that was a while ago. So, <laughs> all right, I have. Do you one. have a moment? Yes, I have one from Helen. Uh, hello, I'm in my fifties and diagnosed with autism two years ago and ADHD this year. A lot of my life makes sense now. Congratulations, Helen. I'm very happy for you. That's me talking. Anyways, this is what Helen says. I grew up with Dr. Seuss books. In my forties, a few years pre-diagnosis and before I was even aware that I may be autistic, I was watching the Cat in the Hat movie with my kids for probably the fourth time. Suddenly, I had an epiphany. I realized that it was called Cat in the Hat because he's a cat in a hat. How the <laughs> hell? 
did I not get this before? <laughs> Childhood book reading and now the film. <laughs> That's what she wrote. She wrote several ha ha ha's. Also, I'm laughing along. I'm ruining this. Anyways, back to what she said. <laughs> After listening to your podcast, I now realize it was an indie moment. It makes me laugh so hard now, but friends always look at me like I'm crazy person when I tell them about it. Keep up the good podcast work. You make me feel part of a glorious tribe. Oh, thank you, Aww. Helen. And then she said, okay to use my first name, which I've just read now. So I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad it's okay because I I didn't read that far down before. Um, oh, That's Helen. such a recognizable thing. I'm sure that I've done loads of things like that. Um, I, oh. Yeah, that is very much. I don't think that that wouldn't be like on the list of like on the on the top list of like autistic traits. But I'm that I recognize that as very autistic. Okay. Well, I, I, I was uh, doing uh, Global Pillage, which is one of Deborah Francis White's podcasts, mm. and like just this a couple months ago and it was the first time i realized that it's bowl in a china shop and not a bowl in a china <laughs> shop so you're thinking i don't know what people are worrying about a bowl well, in a china yeah, that seems like where it should be seems like everything's in order well my ballet teacher would always talk about because i'm a bit of you know i'm a bit of a clumsy girl and she'd be like we got it we got to get you to stop being a bowl in a china shop and i'm like well i think that's an excellent thing <laughs> very beautiful and in its right place that seems yeah. fine i don't know what the problem oh, no. is here so i feel you helen i feel you and i tell people that now and they just look at me like how did you never get that yeah <laughs> i have an audio moment which, i love um, this comes from uh my good friend jake young uh, let me play it for you. Very well, so I have a neurodivergent yeah. moment I thought I'd share. Not a moment, more of a life thing that I've realised recently. It's down to my dyspraxia. So in my head, the number 13 and the number 15 are the same. So I genuinely, I still don't know if my brother Jonah's birthday is on the 15th of July or the 13th of July. Um, and that's how I always, like I always learn and then I always forget. And uh, yeah, it's because I think of the, num the number 15 and 13 go in the same category in my head. Is that a dyspraxia thing or is that a Jake thing? Did there you go. Did you hear that? Okay. Yeah, I heard that fine. Uh, I don't know if it's specifically a, a, a dyspraxic thing, but I know my boyfriend does the same thing. So it's probably does a neurodivergent What numbers thing? are in the same, uh, same group? I can't remember exactly because I've never paid attention when he's actually talking. <laughs> but um he has trouble remembering dates because certain numbers are the same to him. Uh, I have, uh, I have uh, gone around that with my own birthday because my birthday is 1111. So <laughs> I've just made it the same numbers, um, which keeps it easy for him. But yeah, um, I think that's, I think that sounds like it's gotta be a thing. That's a thing, right? Danica says she completely relates to it as well. Yeah, that she um, sees them as um, specifically those two numbers. We wonder whether it was a time thing because 13 is five o'clock. So 15 is like three o'clock. But that was our theory that maybe that's why they got they got sort of put into the same same box. Maybe. Also, like, they kind of look similar. Like when he said it, I was like, I see that. Like, I think a five and a three. I know they are different, but they have the same like 
there's a line at the top, then that crosses like a five, a five is a three backwards. Is it? <laughs> yeah. A three's like a Well yeah, so a three's wait. They're both no, curvy. I'm wrong. I just I just put them up. No, a five could be a, no. Yeah. A five's like an S backwards. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm totally wrong. No, a five I forgot is like, what I the know. numbers look like. <laughs> I literally just typed them into the chat to be like to be like see Joe and now I'm looking at them and I'm like, no, a five is not a three backwards. The bubble's in the wrong place. Um <laughs> I hope this is one of those things maybe our listeners could help us with because I have you do you have numbers that you put in the same category um sort of are seemingly arbitrarily and uh have you had any late realizations of what um things like the cat in the hat I wonder how universal these experiences are we need to document them yeah please share them on our um on our socials we're on Instagram, NDM underscore podcast, and on Twitter for as long as it exists. Uh, same handle at NDM underscore podcast. Or, of course, you can always write us uh, to the email. Send us your neurodivergence moments. Send us your numbers and your sayings that you realized are you've been thinking about them wrong the whole time to neurodivergentmomentspod at gmail.com. We have a patron as well. We need to uh, let people know this patron. If you want a bit of extra uh, NDM pod, then you can go to our Patreon. Uh, I have, Do you have a favourite patron? Because I do, and her name is Ailsha Byrne Murdoch. That's her name, Ailsha Byrne Murdoch. Her surname is also my stance on Rupert's <laughs> Byrne Murdoch. Um, so Ailsha is one of our, um, second tier, our first second tier patrons. Thank you very much for supporting us. You are fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we give a shout out for Patreon patrons who do a 10 quid a month patron. And we do have one other who uh, said they do not want a shout out on the podcast. Uh, that happened very early on. But nonetheless, we're very, very thankful to you, Mom. And uh, <laughs> I really do appreciate it. My parents aren't giving nothing. I need to go to them, get some money with my <laughs> parents. They do listen to the podcast. Oh, but, that's uh, sweet. But for free. Ugh. <laughs> Vicky Kramer's over there, just 10, 10 quid a month. She's That's... supporting us, yeah, holding yeah, us up. Yeah, Thank yeah. you, Vicky. Really do appreciate uh, it. <laughs> we'll see you in a fortnight's time. Yeah, look forward to it. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye.